and welcome to Shadow of the Past, a side project of the Card Game Cooperative podcast, where we take a bit of time to look at individual scenarios from across the co-op LCGs created by Fantasy Flight Games. My name is Michael, and joining me today is Simon. Hello. How are you doing, Simon? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Um, as we were touching a bit before we started recording, I'm quite tired. But uh, who do you, yeah, so I've just had in the last two weeks, my first child has been born, and that's yeah, exciting times and very exciting. Yeah, interesting that now is the time I choose to start doing some more episodes for the podcast just when I'm about to lose all free time in existence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'll have something to do during nap time, I guess. I have indeed been editing during nap time. That is exactly <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> right, so on to this episode. As um, we mentioned in our first episode of this spin-off kind of series, we'll be covering a individual scenario from one of the three games. Uh, Simon, do you want to introduce the scenario you've picked for this episode? Uh, so I have picked Into the Pit, which is the first scenario uh, in the Kazadum Dwarodov cycle. It's the second cycle of the game. I think they count the core box and the first set of adventure packs as one cycle altogether. I'd imagine so, because I mean, you've at least got a full cycle of APs, haven't you? Yeah, that's what we're looking at now. Before we get on to the spoiler content of it, before we give up our spoiler warning, Simon, do you have a one-off senten- uh, sentence that's maybe a bit out of context or spoiler-free to give advice for people on how they might take on this scenario if they haven't played it before? Bring lots of cheap chumps and don't quest without one. Ah, yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, I kind of want to keep adding to that. We'll we'll add to that when we get to it later in the episode. That's possibly the best piece of advice that you could have for this whole scenario, I think. Especially in the first turn. I can see that as well. I'll, I'll put up the spoiler warning now before we get into more detail. So yeah, if you haven't played Into the Pit, um, I believe we will just be discussing actually the normal version of the scenario rather than the nightmare mode, because I don't think either of us have played the nightmare mode. But if you have not played the normal version of Into the Pit or don't want to hear more about it, this is a good place to pause and come back later. So um, here we go. Yeah, let's start with a bit of a brief walkthrough of what the scenario is itself. Uh, we've picked a few cards that we think sum up the scenario quite well. Um, I think Entering the Mines would be a good one to start. Are you all right to read that card, Simon? I am. Entering the Mines is card 1A and 1B. Uh, It has the flavour text of, You have been sent by the White Council to Moria to deliver a message to Barlin and his dwarven colony. No one has heard from him in a while. Uh, It has the setup instructions to search the encounter deck for the East Gate and the Cave Torch. Put the East Gate into play as the active location and have the first player attach Cave Torch to a hero of his choice. Set First Hall and Bridge of Kazadam aside out of play and shuffle the encounter deck. Then we flip to side 1B. Uh, It takes seven uh, progress tokens to advance. It has the flavor text, the doors of the East Gate hang crooked on their hinges. The darkness inside the doorway is still and impenetrable, shutting out the last beams of a sinking sun. When revealed, reveal one encounter card per player and add it to the staging area. Players cannot advance to the next stage of the scenario unless Bridge of Khazad-dum is in their victory display. 
So it seems quite uh, straightforward. If you're just looking at the card itself, it's reveal one card per player and seven progress tokens. The element of it that is something different, like a bit, you know, the new gimmick for the scenario is the location that you've got to have in play straight away. So I'm going to go ahead and read the East Gate, which enters play. So it's a unique location, East Gate. It's got seven threat. I don't know if that's the biggest up to this point in the game, but it's surely got to be giving a run for its money. Um, and seven quest points. The trait gate and the text immune to player card effects. Players cannot optionally engage enemies and no engagement checks are made. Forced after East Gate leaves play as an explored location, add first hall to the staging area. Victory one. Yeah, that is a really beefy threat if you are unfortunate enough for it to enter your staging area, even though it starts the game in the as the active location. And it's got seven quest points to get through as well. So it's not that's quite that's quite big for locations, I say, at this point in the game, maybe even in the modern uh, stuff as well. When I went through my blind playthrough of this the first time, this was definitely the thing that completely caught me off guard straight away. I think I failed purely because of the amount that I had to quest through this location, playing solo with one card in the staging area from the setup the additional card from the questing and it just yeah i just ended up getting swarmed with uh, i think i think i got location locked actually so the, the theme i guess of this card is you're approaching moria from the outside so you haven't got to where all the orcs and goblins and stuff are yet and you're just trying to get into this gate itself so the mechanical text on the card being that all the enemies are just going to sit up in the staging area and you can't engage them and they're looming in the threat area. Or hiding behind the doors to Moria, just waiting for you to wander on in so they can pounce. Yes, exactly. And you just you have a general presence of how much of them is there. But uh, so yeah, that's that's can what easily get you caught out that you're you've got a big pile of enemies sitting up there. And either there's too many and there's so much threat that you just can't put the questing down and you get stuck before you've really even started, before you've put any progress on your first location. Another version of what can happen is you can send everybody questing and then you do manage to get through it. And then suddenly that text is no longer in the game that stops the enemies engaging. So suddenly you get piled on by all these enemies, but you've got no characters ready because you've just fully committed to it. So you need to somehow find a solution other than those two options in order to get around this quite big hurdle at the beginning of the scenario. So um, again, we'll probably come on to this a bit more in a bit, but this card definitely does make me feel like you need to be, like you say, you need to be putting everyone that you can into that quest immediately. Mm-hmm. I think usually the first round I do put everyone into the quest because it's got seven quest points on it. So it's quite hard to get through it in one go. And maybe by then you won't have too many enemies to deal undefended attacks to wipe out all your heroes. Um <laughs> I mean, by the time you've done it, you might only have two heroes left for them to wipe out. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we'll we'll come on to that later. You can you can kind of tell there's one particular card in this set that I really don't like, can't you? Yes, yes, I can tell, and uh, we are going to talk about it because it's I think the first thing I wanted to talk about as well. Um, <laughs> The uh, just going back to the Eastgate location, though it's got the forced ability 
when it leaves play and gets added to the victory display, because it's got victory one, you will add the first hall to the staging area, which is one of the cards you'd set aside. And that's a location with some effects that you've got to travel to again and then explore it. And that goes into the victory display and it reveals the third location, which is the Bridge of Kazadoom. And then once you've got through that, you've then met the criteria on this first quest card on quest 1b so you've got to go through all three of those locations to then be able to complete this first quest card and progress to goblin patrol um are you right if i read goblin patrol or did you have something else to add uh, I, I just wanted to say it's worth like just mentioning how bad the effects on those two other locations are just briefly go on if you got them in front of you yeah I've found that, uh, so the first tools travel each travel to travel here each player must raise his threat by three uh, which I would say puts you firmly in the range for being in the threat level of every enemy in this deck, unless you're playing a really low threat deck, like a Hobbit deck or something like that. Which wouldn't have been available at the time when this was released, but I guess they are available nowadays. Maybe later on when you've got Splorfendel and... <laughs> You can just put a couple of root, but again, you're not necessarily going to be making an efficient deck. You're just going to be making something that's low threat. But then Bridge of Khazad-Dum, it's only three quest points, but you can't play cards whilst it's the active location. See, for me, that's the most punishing of the three. And I always forget about it. (laughs) There's something else in this that we'll come to that I always forget about as well. Did um, those two locations you've just read out, do they both have immune to player card effects written no, on so them? No, so they are not immune to player card effects. So you could use things like, uh, I guess, a Snowburn Scout or... Yeah, uh, Northern, Northern Tracker. Tracker. Yeah. If you can explore it while it's still in the staging area, you don't have to suffer yeah. any of their penalties. Yeah. Which would be a really nice way to get past first hall if you could. Yeah. <laughs> If only. Yeah. If you could get away with not adding that three threat. So after you've completed all three of those locations and done the necessary quest points, you then move on to quest 2A, which is uh, called the Goblin Patrol, and it kind of makes up the middle part of the scenario. So 2A has the flavor text, the skeletons of dwarves and orcs lie undisturbed, but you have discovered no recent sign of the dwarven colony. The sound of scampering feet travels to your ears, and you move in that direction to investigate. There is a patrol of goblins marching in a loose formation through the shadows. And then you flip to side 2B, which has 11 progress, 11 quest points. Uh, when revealed, each player must search the encounter deck and discard pile for one enemy of his choice and add it to the staging area. One choice must be patrol leader, if able. Forced, after an enemy is revealed from the encounter deck, discard it instead of adding it to the staging area. And then, if there are no enemies in play, immediately advance to the next stage of the scenario. Brackets. Players can also advance by placing 11 progress tokens on Goblin Patrol. So it's got two different ways you can beat this. You can have all the enemies in the game in the in play be defeated, or put down your 11 progress to- points. So I think this was also the first quest card that I came to that had two options for how to complete it. See, in the uh, the first scenario in the core box, you've got two different quest cards and you have to shuffle them and pick one at random. Yeah. The other one where you can either kill Ungoliant Spawn or... 
quests through and you always know which one's easier and the one that you're hoping to get <laughs> and it's the one you don't get but yeah yeah um but i think this was the first time that i saw that so i did see this is like I, I thought that was quite cool when i first saw it it gave you options it's not just a case of oh no well i've bought a spirit deck with not many allies in it and now i've got to kill loads and loads and loads of goblins and i can't and it's just never going to happen you could just force quests through it and be like ah chumps so uh it's likely that the most number of enemies you'll have to deal with on this quest is one per player because it's got the when revealed effect of search for one enemy per player and then clarifying how to make sure that you've got at least one goblin, well, at least one patrol leader, if possible. And then while you're playing, if any enemies are revealed from the encounter day, they're discarded instead. But I know there's at least one exception. There's a lot of enemies that have the shadow effect that they enter play. So they would enter play that way if they appear on a shadow card. You also have to hope that you didn't have any enemies up there in the first place. Yeah, good point. Yeah, <laughs> you're there. You're there with your super low threat deck, and you're just trying to quest under them all. You've got like four of them up there, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now I've got to kill all of them. And there are enemies. There are a handful of enemies in this scenario that like to sit in the staging area, either by having a really high engagement cost, and you can't optionally engage them. Yeah. Uh, what is it? It's the the goblin patron or the goblin scout that you cannot optionally engage if you have a threat of 25 or higher but its engagement threat is 37 so there's like a full 12 threat where it just sits there the uh, location we mentioned before this the middle of the three which is first hall which raises your threat have you ever chosen to travel there so your threat became higher than 37 so that you could engage one of the goblin scouts because i've done that before (laughs) i have not had that particular thing come up at a point in time where i could actually just be like oh yeah i'll do that and that will solve my problem it's never aligned like that for me okay now that you've mentioned it i'm going to keep my eye out for it definitely it's quite satisfying yeah (laughs) i think generally goblin patrol i think if i get to that part of the scenario and i've got through uh, the first quest, Goblin Patrol, doesn't give me as many problems. I think generally it's uh, entering the mines, the first quest card that I struggle with the most with. Uh, yeah, I do find that by the time you've got to here, you're, you're reasonably well set up to be able to get through it. The only mm-hmm. thing that is the pain in the butt is the patrol leader that we're forced to bring out. Yeah. How many times have you killed the patrol leader without actually killing the patrol leader because he's thrown one of his patrol at you instead? Oh, yeah. Have you got the exact ability in front I of you? I have got the, the exact ability yeah. in front of me. Uh, so it's forced before patrol leader is dealt damage. So it's not before he's attacked. It's before he's dealt damage. So you can't Gandalf him. Or you can Gandalf him, but this could still happen. Discard the top card of the encounter deck. If the discarded card is an enemy, cancel that damage. Also, can I just say I love the theme of this patrol leader just being like, nope, and throwing his like underling in front of him to just get murdered instead. It wasn't even someone who was nearby because they weren't in the staging area. I don't know. He's just grabbed someone from out of the shadows. Yeah. Like someone just trying to sneak off and slink away. And he's just like, no, you get back here. Yeah. He's a big beefy guy. And the 
when revealed effect on goblin patrol, there's only one way that you could not draw a patrol leader through that. Or it's just very complicated. Either you're playing on easy mode, so I think you've only got one patrol leader in the deck. So if it's already in play, you can't search for another. Or you're playing on normal mode, and I think there's two in the deck. So you've got to be... Yeah, you've got to have them both in play already. And you're, you're probably in quite a tough situation if you've got them both in play already. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're still going to have to add an enemy. It just won't be a patrol leader. Yeah. <laughs> See what I mean? You're there. You've got your hobbits sneaking their way through Moria. And they've got two patrol leaders sat there looking at them already. And then, oh no, both the patrol leaders out and you have to pull out just another enemy. Yeah. Even if it's a small guy, it's just adding up to lots of potentially undefended attacks. Yeah. So just to finish out the guide to the scenario, do you want to read the final quest card, A Way Up? So uh, 3A has some flavor text, which is, you have captured a member of the patrol and pressed the wounded goblin for information about the dwarves. It gives a nasty laugh and with a mouthful of blood spits out, Barling can be found in the Chamber of Records. It can say no more. Uh, 3B. Uh, so it's 12 progress to get through this. Uh, it has the flavor text. The Chamber of Records is on the seventh level of Moria. The way up is treacherous and you are accompanied by a sense of unease and vague dread. Heroes do not collect resources during the resource phase. If the players defeat the stage, they win the game. I think that this card is a bit of an anti-climax. Yeah. I, so I don't like dissing on the way that people have set up scenarios when they've been designing them. But I think if it was me personally, I would have made a way up actually called uh, the East Gate and had that 12 progress just be your first card in the scenario and then made quest card three have three locations where you're going through Kazadun to get to the Chamber of Records. It would... Yeah, I was, actually, I was going to say I would take away that really difficult first step for the very start of the scenario, but it's not actually, it's not the fact that there's a location there at the start of the scenario. It's the fact that the text is there saying enemies can't engage you. That's the really tough, big hurdle at the beginning. So, But just had it with a higher quest level and no locations, I think that that would make the scenario flow a lot more because I don't know about you, but I tend to flip to this card. And so there's one thing that's tripped me up once or twice, and that is the not collecting resources. Yeah. I've forgotten about it, not had quite enough out because I've had to put a few people in as chumps to block and then had to go a couple of rounds to quest through it. But then there's been plenty of other times where I've got to this and it's just been like, right, I commit everyone to the quest and I'm done. I like the kind of the theme of not collecting resources. It's like, you know, you're representing traveling a lot and just dealing with general exhaustion. I feel that. I guess at that point, you're that far down into Moria as well. You know, it's like uh, in the book, whilst they're traveling through Moria and everyone's just exhausted and they're just going and going and no one's really, they're just thinking about getting to the other side of it. No one's focusing on anything else in there to the point where, you know, Gandalf's having to stop people from walking into pits and, yeah, 
you know, they they all of a sudden think, oh, we've got to stop somewhere. It doesn't matter how dangerous it is. And I guess that's kind of what this is representing, that kind of listless going on without really having anything to go on with. Yeah, I'd agree. And just on your point that quite often by that point in the game, it doesn't really matter that you're not gaining resources because you're only, you only need one more turn to quest 12 progress because you've got so many, you've got to build up at that point. Especially if you've got a, dwarf deck with dane in it and everyone's (laughs) got plus one you know if you you know accidentally throw in a faramir and all of a sudden everyone's got plus two and you can just quest with like four people and get through it in one go although in defense i think that kind of combo will be a lot of scenarios but yeah yeah, no that's that's true and i I wouldn't disagree with that but i think for a, a third stage it should be more difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe at the time they felt like the not collecting resources was enough. But I think it maybe if it was you don't collect resources and you can't play cards or you can't play allies so you can only play events and maybe attachments. Yeah, like you're so far in, you can't get any more reinforcements to help you. That kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, I think that covers the... Um walk through of it then is there any other kind of general comments about the scenario or specific cards you wanted to mention um so it's really just the the reason that i picked this scenario it was the first scenario that i played after going through the core set because uh, cool. at the time all of the Merkwood ap's were completely out of stock everywhere and i saw someone online selling this for what is essentially the cost price i think i paid 22 quid for it so it was like yeah um and it was, I mean, I obviously I lost it, but it was like that progressing through it and actually feeling like this has kind of got the fun that I got from the first quest in the core set. It's got the interesting mechanics that Journey along, down, up the Anduin has. <laughs> and it isn't, I can see how I can win it, unlike Escape from Dogolder. Yeah, and I think kind of adding to that as well, in the sense of it's just kind of it's just quite a nice balance. I don't know, balance is not the right word, but it's just for many reasons it's a good scenario. And I often use the yeah. scenario as testing ground for new decks. It's not as a much a walk in the park as Passage through Mirkwood, but I can usually beat it most of the time, which is quite satisfying. Like if I can't beat it with a new deck it's probably not a deck that's going to function well against most scenarios. So it's a good testing yeah. ground. I mean, as much as I have complained about the third stage there, I think <laughs> it's probably, I mean, it is one of my favorite quests. And like you say, it's great for putting just a deck together and testing it against. And I have done that like a fair amount, just gone. I fancy playing some Lord of the Rings. I've got the, the into the pit there. I'm just going to put together a random deck and see how it plays. Yeah. Um and the most fun I've had against it actually was with a Prince Imrahil, Aragorn, and Samwise mono leadership deck. There was just full of allies that had no more than a three cost. So and uh, you know, it had the traditional leadership like sneak attack and uh, steward of gondor and all of that stuff, so that you've got all of the, the good stuff coming in. But yeah, mostly allies. Gandalf, obviously, of course, uh, and just blasted through it and completely wiped out everything that got in my way <laughs> because it was just like, oh, what's that? There's an enemy. I've got an ally for that. 
I think one of the um, fairly significant cards is the objective card for this scenario that appears in some other of the scenarios throughout the cycle, which is the cave torch. And I'll just you attach it to one of your heroes at the start of the game. So I'll read through that quickly. It's attached to a hero restricted action exhaust cave torch to place up to three progress tokens on a dark location forced after cage torch exhausts discard the top card of the encounter deck if that card's an enemy add it to the staging area so you can choose to do the action if it's the cave if the cave torch is ready and then as a consequence of that you'll have to risk putting an enemy into play and there are other encounter cards that can cause you to exhaust the cave torch and as a consequence of them, you'll be risking also putting an enemy in play. So that's why those two abilities are separated out. It's It, it helps avoid being location-locked, which is quite a nice thing, because that's an easy way to lose a lot of scenarios before, you know, before you've got quite familiar with how to play the game. But it does, yeah, it's part of why it's quite an enemy-heavy scenario, this one. So I very rarely use it. Really? An amount of it comes from a lot of my playthrough of this scenario as solo. So it does become, unless it's in that first first stage card, mm-hmm. it does become a lot easier to prevent yourself from becoming location locked. Um, if it happens during 1B, then, I mean, even the Cave Torch might not help because you might be at another location that you just can't get out of anyway. Um but I've I've never found the the forced effect on it to be worth using it. I guess it, it feels a lot like you could end up not location locked, but then entirely surrounded by enemies. It depends what the situation is. I think the two times I use it most often will be either after you've finished revealing cards during staging, but before resolving questing. So if potentially using it could then reduce the you know um explore a location in the staging area and therefore reduce the threat in the staging area to a very specific amount that's going to be useful then i might give it a go of course there's a risk that you're just going to add an an enemy to the staging area and bump the threat back up again but there's a chance you might not and then also after you've engaged after you complete the engagement phase you could then use it at that point because then if you do draw an enemy, you're not going to be engaging it this round. It's going to stay in the staging area. So you can just put a bit of progress down with it for less of a punishment. It's definitely not free if you if you end up with an enemy. <laughs> it's less of a punishment. Uh, so the one time when I would use this a lot more is if I had Denethor or if I had Henemas with a song out and I was able to scry the encounter deck. That is the only way that I think I'd really make serious use of the cave torch. You know, it was just reading it now. I thought, why haven't I done a deck like that before and just tried to play around with scrying to be able to know what's coming? It seemed because I think there's probably other cards that would say you shuffle the encounter deck before you look at the top card or something like that. But this doesn't do that. It's not immune to scrying. It would because it is supposed to be vaguely beneficial for you. That'd probably be just a bit too mean. <laughs> So you can have Denethor with a cave torch in one hand and then a burning brand in the other. So he's like this ultimate yeah. exploring and defending machine. Yeah, give, give him some unexpected courage and you're away. And it's just like him trying to light himself on fire on the pyre with holding those <laughs> two flaming branches. Yeah. Yep. Thematic. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it a grey 
pilgrim deck, just Denethor on his own. Right. <laughs> uh, Do you want to read Sudden Pitfall? Because I think you've been gagging to talk about it since 30 seconds in. I do. So Sudden Pitfall is a treachery with the hazard uh, keyword. And it has the effect of when revealed, the first player must discard one questing character he controls if able. This effect cannot be cancelled. It also has a shadow effect, which is discard the defending character from play. Pretty much, if you see this, then there's a very, 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 very good chance that you are losing a hero. Especially if you see it in round one. Yes, if you see it early on and you're not preparing for it. And by preparing for it, I mean questing with at least one ally. I mulligan every time I play this so I don't have an ally in hand one. Yeah, if my opening hand does not have an ally, I'm 100% mulliganing for one. Fair enough, yeah. Especially in true, in solo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's only ever actually hit me once, uh, and that was actually playing two-handed, and I managed to go along and complete the quest sans one hero. Rest in peace, R.A. Uh, but again, Dwarf Swarm deck. Uh, and I was playing, uh, I think it was a Leadership Law and a Spirit Law. Yeah. And yeah, I just managed to, again, force my way through it by having enough allies out and enough resources to pay for them. You can't you can't cancel its when revealed effect. You've just got to be able to... Like maybe yeah, it's best to prepare for it in advance before revealing it, and then when you've gone through that one copy, breathe a bit easier because you've got the rest of the deck without any more copies in. It is only one copy, so if you see this when in your when revealed uh, for one B, then quest away, go nuts, go nuts, just quest as much as you want. That's you know, go for it, fill your boots. But if you don't see it, then be wary because there is a very good chance that you will lose a character. Have you conned on how you end up losing two characters from this card? Which is the shadow effect. If you're defending an attack and the shadow effect comes up, it says discard the defending character from play. So if that's a hero, that goes. But it doesn't say it cancels the attack. The attack still goes on, but now it's undefended because your defender has been removed from play. So... There goes hero number two, probably, because you can't then declare another defender. You've got to resolve it as undefended. So bring shadow cancellation. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's the one thing. Whereas the when revealed effect can't be cancelled, the shadow could be burning brand out. Yeah. So uh, it's slightly less nasty as a shadow effect, maybe. Because it can be cancelled. Yeah, still not good. And you still need to, you know, have a very specific deck that's set up specifically to deal with this card and have all the right <laughs> cards out at the right time but compared to the when revealed where it is just this happens and you cannot stop it no matter what you do i guess if you had no one committed to the quest so say your first player was playing like tactics monosphere and didn't put anyone into the quest because you were going to go. They were going to go through and kill everyone, and everyone else was doing all the questing for them. It would fizz, I guess. But again, how often is that going to happen? 
like you if that happened to you you might start thinking that the encounter deck likes you <laughs> i think i prefer these abilities like it's when revealed effect i think i prefer that because it says it can't be cancelled and it's something that you can play around without too much of an alteration of your playstyle. um but then the shadow effect is something that I don't think you can play around it. I think you've just got to include some cards that outright cancel it in response. And I think I prefer changing your gameplay style to something that you can't easily cancel rather than forcing yourself to dedicate a portion of your deck to boring cards that just outright cancel something. This is me, Ragged on Test of Will, without Ragged on Test of Will, because <laughs> that wouldn't work in this situation. Ragged on Hasty Stroke, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a, a very significant part of the scenario i think if you mentioned in uh into the pit this is the first card i think of sudden pitfall yeah it's it's not nice i and obviously it's not specific to the scenario as well so if you're playing through the dwarodov cycle expect to see it again sometime oh yeah it's in one of the encounter encounter sets isn't it the repeats yep Oof. Uh, I can't remember which other scenarios it's in, but I think it might be in the last one as well. The Adventure Pack 6. Yeah, the Shadow and Flame one. And having played that quite recently, I can say that that's already difficult enough. You don't need to be losing characters like this. (laughs) Yeah. This is just adding insult to injury in that scenario. But I might be wrong. It might not actually be in there. I don't think I saw it but that might just be because I died quickly enough to not get that fast through the encounter deck. Was there any other cards you wanted to call out or any other play stories? There's there's a couple. Um, so, Signs of Conflict. Yeah. Signs of Conflict is a pain in the butt because <laughs> there's never one sign of conflict. There's at least three. And by that, I mean, if I draw one sign of conflict... No matter how well I've shuffled the deck, I can guarantee that at least the next two cards are going to be signs of conflict. And I will be surging through all of them and adding two threat each time. I uh, I saw them come up a lot recently in my um, Perilous Voyage deck, which is the card where you can kind of think of it as a Valor deck where you get a reward for having... You, you want to get to a certain high threat and then you get some rewards at that point. So... It was quite nice seeing two or three copies of them helping encourage me along the way. I could imagine then, but I've definitely I've had a scenario where I've had well, I've had a playthrough of this scenario where I've threat out because I've had four of them in a row. Oof. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. and it's just like at that point it is kind of like I I don't know what I could. That kind of just feels a bit like being cheated. I know that, you know, what are the chances of having four of those in a row and adding eight threat and then getting something like an enemy or something pop out at the end of it? Well, imagine if you did that and then you got sudden pitfall. That would just be disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sweeping now, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I'm not as angry with the card as I make it sound. sound. It just is always, (laughs) every time, it's, it's never just one. You could be angry with these cards, but I know you love them because you keep playing this scenario. Oh, again I know, again. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be interested to know if anyone else has that happen, if anyone else has is like cursed by signs of conflict. They just keep surging into each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If anyone else has had that where they just they pick it out and they're like, oh, no, it's signs of conflict. And then they pick it over and they're like, is this deja vu? 
And then they pick the <laughs> next one. It's like, and I'm living in Encounter Deck Groundhog Day. <laughs> um, the the other one I just wanted to quickly mention was Watchful Eyes, uh, which is the first player attaches Watchful Eyes to one of his heroes. It counts as a condition attachment with the text limit one per hero, forced. If attached hero is exhausted at the end of the combat phase, reveal one card from the encounter deck and add it to the staging area. And I feel like this really encompasses the theme of this whole cycle uh, and like gives you the impression from the very beginning that you're not the only thing down here and that something is out to get you and, you know, actively working against you being in this place. It'll either just follow you carefully, or if you're distracted briefly, like if you're exhausted, then it will take some actions against you. Yeah. Another, yeah, just, it makes it a scenario where I try and include Minor of the Iron Hills or some condition discard. And I almost, as soon as I draw um, Watchful Eyes, I almost then kind of give up on that one hero and say, right, I'm not using them anymore. But it's not quite as conclusive as that sometimes there might be a situation where it's like okay it's worth the extra encounter card to use this hero in this situation so the fact that it leaves some option there it's not too too harsh of a condition attachment yeah Uh, there's there's two times when i will definitely just be like oh all right i don't mind um one of them will be if i'm playing as spleric glorfindel and i've got the light of valinor on him and so I'm not exhausting to quest because who wants to exhaust a quest with him anyway? Uh, and then I'm just like, it's fine. He'll just do all my questing for me. Um, and the other one is actually in stage 2B of this quest. Because if it's an enemy, it's going to the discard pile. Oh, uh, yes, it does work that way. I'm going to be a pain in the butt and just mention one last card because I got it wrong the first time I played it. And that is the Dreadful Gap which has a threat of uh, two, but it has a progress of X, where X is the number of characters in play. And when it's revealed, you immediately travel to it and you return the active location to the staging area. When I first played this, I read X is the number of players. And I was like, Ah. that's really easy. And then I looked at it a bit closer the next time and I was like, Five, six, <laughs> seven. Okay, that's okay. That's not so easy. You're now being po- punished for your dwarf swarm. Yeah, exactly. It's the one time where that's gonna really. Although, again, it, it depending on where you are in the quest, especially if you've got like ten of them out already, that ten threat probably is just gonna hold you back for a turn rather than cause you any real problems. I think the annoying time this is gonna this is gonna really throw you when you've got six progress tokens on the eastern gate and it throws it back to the staging area and you're like well now i've got to do that all over again i will yeah and i I will and i have just swept the game and restarted when i'm (laughs) when this east gate is the active location at the beginning and then i draw dreadful gap um yeah, I just don't. <laughs> I'll I'll pick a different card and play it again because I I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. 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 I don't blame you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so here we are wrapping up the episode with the irrelevant and meaningless difficulty rating, as it's so hard to, you know, put a number on any scenario for all different eventualities. But we're gonna give it our best shot. Um, same as last episode, 
It's a five-star rating we're going to give, one to five. One represents an encounter that you can beat with a pre-constructed deck or a deck you'll find on the Fantasy Flight Games website. And five is an encounter where you can analyze every card in the pack, look at broken player card combos you find online, cheat while playing, and still lose. So it's that tough is number five. Where are you feeling this fits, Simon? I mean, I just want to just add that even if it was a one, I could probably still cheat and lose. But (laughs) for this, I'll be giving it uh, three Simons out of five. Three Simons? Nicely balanced. I'd say you've got as much chance of losing it as you've got of winning it. Especially if you've played it a few times. I'm going to be asking you to come down a bit because I was between one or two. I was thinking, is it? I mean, if one represents passage through Mirkwood, then there's an argument to put it as a two instead, because I think it's harder than that. But passage through Mirkwood, I think, stands on its own, so I kind of don't want to assign a number to that one scenario on its own. So I'm I'm putting it easier. I would put passage of Mirkwood at zero. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think I got the core set, and on that day, I went through Passage of Mirkwood with all three decks except for Tactics, because every piece of advice I got was never play with that mono Tactics deck from the core set, because all you'll want to do is throw it all in the bin and set fire to the bin, and then put the bin into something that will crush it into a tiny package. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's. Um, I haven't found the use for that Tactics deck yet, but uh... <laughs> I would be willing to come down to like two and a half. Because, yeah, we need somewhere to go. But I think if you get the right combination of cards, no matter how good your deck, you could potentially lose this in one or two turns. Yeah, that first stage. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do the haggling and we'll we'll settle at two and a half. Okay. What, was it, what would you say? Two and a half Simons out of? Two and a half Simons out of five. Out of five. There we are. Excellent. Um, so last bits to wrap up the episode we've got some contact details if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter to say what you thought of the uh, scenario or what you thought of the episode in our discussions you can find us at Card Cooperative and we're on Facebook as well with the Card Game Cooperative um, so that's it yeah we'll uh, see you for the next episode bye goodbye